You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And hello, America. Welcome to another edition of Greg's List Live, your home for serious journalism only on AmericasWebRadio.com. Got another great show for you lined up today. Our uh, co-host is, is on her way in. She's the editor of ZPolitics.com, Christy Riggins, and uh, got stuck in a little bit of traffic, but we expect her to be here in the studio shortly to talk about some of the exciting goings-on that we've... Uh, We've seen, I, um, she actually emailed me on Saturday and asked what we were going to talk about, and the last thing I was thinking was Scott Walker's departure from the presidential race, which I, uh, I guess it came as a shock to me, but after his debate performance didn't exactly wow the, uh, the average viewers, he actually had eight minutes to speak. Donald Trump had more than 16 minutes. He was pretty largely ignored by the uh, CNN moderators, and unfortunately that translated into very tepid uh, poll numbers. In fact, he was polling at 0.3% according to the most recent CNN poll that came afterwards. Now, folks, I know people that have had BACs, blood alcohol contents, higher than 0.3%. He was hovering in the uh, George Pataki, Lindsey Graham range. And this was just such a, a plummet from somebody that had had such promise when they, uh, when they started the race. But, uh, you know, re- everybody's reading through the postmortems now of his uh, campaign suspension. And people said, oh, I knew this was coming. I knew it was going to be an inevitable uh, fact that he'd be dropping out. But for me and a lot of folks, including some of his big-time donors – this came as a complete shock. I uh, I had just been reading his super PAC was actually going to buy about $7 million of ads to run in Iowa from September until the uh, the primaries. So this ad purchase had already been done. And um, for some reason, it never really got off the ground. And I'm hoping they hadn't paid for it yet because there's no need to be running ads while a campaign is suspended. So the question is, where is his support going to go? Well, where is that 0.3% going to go? I I think his numbers were far better than 0.3%. There's a lot of undecideds out there, and there's a lot of folks that, uh, you know, are still going with, uh, with, with Dr. Carson and right now Donald Trump. And uh, uh, as predicted after the debate performance, Christy, how are you today? Hey, I'm great. How are you doing? I'm um, good. I don't think you'll need the headphones. But anyway, we got the editor of Z Politics who has just joined us. I said that you got stuck in a, a little bit of traffic, but uh, welcome to the show. And yeah, thank uh, you. It's the first time actually in the studio. So yeah, yeah, good to be here. Yeah, so you've been monitoring all this stuff, all the carnage, I guess, in the uh, Republican primary. I was, I just let off with, uh, remember, I we emailed on Saturday about what we're going to talk about. I thought Clockboy would be leading the way, but yes. uh, it's really the change up in the Republican dynamic. And I know you've been writing a lot about it at zpolitics.com. Tell me about uh, what you've been hearing and what, and what your predictions are. Yeah, um, well... When you know with Scott Walker, when I received, you know, just this very ominous press release with no subject, nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can honestly say I'm surprised that he was the first one to go um, out of the the top front runners that we have right now, even before somebody like Rick Santorum mm-hmm. uh, to outlast him. So, um, very shocked. I've been hearing a lot of different rumors about what could have caused that, but I think what it came down to was money. Right. You know, it's it's hard to fundraise 
um, and, and to really mount a really strong presidential campaign when your poll numbers are dropping that heavily. And um, for as much as we talk in the Republican Party about how much we want somebody who is relatable and just like us, um, I'm not sure that Scott Walker's strategy of, of identifying himself as being uh, aggressively average and, um, you know, using Kohl's coupons was the way to go. <laughs> yeah, he, um, I, you know, we, we seem to be in this soundbite culture now where everybody has to have uh, the ability to communicate in 140 characters or less. And we overlook records of actual achievement. Donald Trump can can go out. He says what people think. That's his supposedly his uh, his mantra or his appeal. He's not the most eloquent of people. You can watch him for ten minutes, and he he doesn't say anything. He'll talk in circles. He'll talk about himself. But for some reason, the people that are cheering him on because he's saying what they think. He's entertaining. <laughs> he is so entertaining. As juvenile as it was, there's a part of me that really enjoys the hit that he took against Rand Paul. <laughs> Where he just said, Duh, I mean, tell me that you didn't that. laugh at that. <laughs> well, I, I was just, I, I don't know why he was picking on Rand Paul, because as you know, uh, the, the Paul supporters are the, some of the most zealous out there. Rand Paul's 2%, that 2% will never leave. Yeah. It will never go anywhere. And so to pick on them and, the, the, you know, I hate to be stereotype them, but the Paul bots leading back to his father, they're very active on social media and they win every straw poll. And I just, I don't know if I would have gone out of my way to pick on Rand Paul, who does, his support is minimal. And I can't really be talking now as a Scott Walker supporter when I, I, I think I've had a blood alcohol content higher than that. Point three. Don't tell my parents that. But uh, yeah, so when we're down, I can't really talk about that, but I just thought it was weird that he picked on him. I actually think that he may have been one of the safest people for Donald Trump to go after because the people who support Rand Paul are never going to support Donald Trump. That's true. So those people are going to be riled up and they're going to be upset anyway. They're true. never going to switch over and, and support Donald That's a Trump. good point. So just, uh, you know, but then he got he got very petty when he said, oh, there's plenty of material to make fun of your face too. So he's, uh, it's it's, I, it, Carly Fiorina clearly has a lot of momentum, and literally in the past week, all of a sudden the attacks on her have begun. So we'll get to see if she can weather this storm. Uh, at Z Politics, I know you guys are writing about the you know the SEC primary, and yeah. that's bringing so many of these candidates here. Marco Rubio was here yesterday uh, for a meet and greet in the morning, and he seems the most adept at coming to visit Georgia. I've noticed that anyway. Is that something yeah. you've noticed? Like the candidates that are we're getting a lot more of them, but uh, Rubio in particular seems to he's supposed to be coming back October third for the Georgia Alabama game. It's interesting to see what candidates are the ones who tend to be shifting more towards the southeast and and really grabbing a hold of that SEC primary. Um, I think Jeb Bush is doing an interesting thing right now. You know, he has um, a slate of four football games lined up. He already went to the Georgia-South Carolina game in Athens, um, and he got a phenomenal response from that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's been interesting to to look at some of the southern Governors or the Southern candidates who have looked at this uh, SEC primary and they seem to really understand mm-hmm. how important this is. Um, you've gotten visits from guys like Chris Christie and um, and Scott Walker. You know, yesterday and before that, when he was actually a candidate, he had said that he believed that Georgia was special, that this was going to be a state that held a key to to a big victory. Mm-hmm. And I think he's right. And I think a lot of these candidates would would really um, 
do well if they followed that example. It would behoove them. And if you think about it, you know, you're getting with a game like a Georgia-Alabama or Georgia-South Carolina, you're getting 100,000-plus people in two key states. And is everybody a registered voter? No. But do most people vote in presidential elections? Yeah. Can you probably guess that 70 to 80 percent of that crowd is Republican? Probably. It's probably a safe bet. Even if it's just 60 percent, that is a huge swath of people to be able to uh, to meet, to do selfies. I mean, literally, the UGA College Republicans did an outstanding job hosting Jeb, although he, he looked like he was speaking inside some for some of the pictures, I thought. And I, I got to say, Jeb, come on outside, buddy. We, we, we like it. But then I saw every UGA CR and a bunch of my friends that were up there at the game all taking selfies. So that went everywhere, and it's still broadcasting over social media. That's a huge win, right? He was swamped. And for a guy like Jeb, who is trying to increase his profile as somebody who is human and relatable and not just someone who comes from this elite presidential dynasty, uh, I thought that was a really smart move. And I have to be honest, I was really pretty shocked at the very overwhelmingly positive reception that he got. Yep. Well, it was... uh I thought it was a good move for him to to come here, and um, you know Rubio came in for a morning visit. What do you think about this? I mean, Rubio and Jeb are pretty close in the polls. I actually, when I uh, watched the debate, I um, I rated Rubio as winning, Carly Fiorina a very close second. The only reason I I gave it to Rubio was because he did just stick to the policy. Uh, Carly and Donald had a little bit of uh, the the petulance, but apparently people like that. I, I thought I like Rubio him. did better yeah. staying on point, <laughs> but uh, apparently the uh, the back and forth diatribe between those was was good. And then I put Ted Cruz third. Now some people disagreed with me on that, but Ted Cruz, in my opinion, is running a very smart campaign. He knows who his base is. He is really concentrating on this southeastern strategy, and I thought he spoke directly to them. So whether or not he scored points with the um, the more moderates, it, that doesn't matter at this point. What matters is staying in the 6 to 10% poll range, raising money, getting on the ballots. I mean, we saw what happened to Scott Walker. He had a ton of money and a huge ad buy from uh, his pack in Iowa, and now that's all gone. It's withered away. Yeah. Uh, you know... I think that most of the candidates actually ended up pulling off doing exactly what they needed to do. Um, I think that Carly Fiorina's big task ahead of her was to show that she was a fighter and that she could contend with that mm-hmm. field of established men. I think that she did that. Ted Cruz made no bones about it. He looked directly into the camera, which creeped me out a little bit at times. <laughs> but he spoke exactly to his audience. And um, I, I think that maybe the, the folks who failed to do that would have been your Rand Paul, who who really needed a big show that night. Yep. Obviously, Scott Walker didn't come out as strong. But I think guys like uh, Chris Christie and Jeb Bush did exactly what they needed yeah, to I do. Yeah, I thought Jeb did, especially the second. In fact, I rated him fourth, which enraged my uh, my friends that, that always call him a rock. I know, but I, I have to look at it. And I rated Scott Walker a fifth. That might have been a little biased. I mean, Scott Walker did start very strong, and he did talk about the issues, and he did seem like a unifying figure. Unfortunately, I had the rose-colored glasses on with his performance because it, it it clearly didn't uh, resonate at all. I liked him a lot too. I'm I'm not sure how still crying over here. <laughs> I really liked him a lot too. I. I I think that with him gone, there's a a little bit of a void in the field of somebody who can really bring in, you know, your establishment Republicans and your your Tea Party folks. Yeah, I think Rubio has a natural, I think he can fill in some of that. I think Jeb, um, 
But Jeb was so much better. This debate has a chance. Christy, who uh, actually a lot of people, I didn't think he did very well. Everybody else did, and his poll numbers tripled. So I, I'm wrong sometimes. It happens. Yeah, I, I thought that he had a very strong showing that night. Yeah, well. I thought he did. And that was the thing. I didn't think anybody did bad, but the way I rated it was who did the best for their campaign. And I think I clearly nailed it with Carly and Ruby. Now everybody thought they had a good night. And I put uh, Ben Carson finishing dead last because he had the most to lose. And I had Trump. Trump didn't do that well, and he's down six points. Uh, he's got a lot to lose. So he didn't get hit nearly as hard as Carson. And then I think Ben really stepped in it with this Muslim comment on uh, on Sunday, the talk shows. Whether or not we, we maybe think it's that, yeah, Sharia law isn't uh, really competent here, or it's, it's not um, congruent with, with uh, the United States to, to say that, and, and you're supposed to protect all religions as part of the Bill of Rights. It's, it's very difficult for a president to, to escape that, I think. He has a history, as much as I really like Ben Carson, he has this history of making <clears throat> statements like that and then getting into a lot of trouble because it, even though his, his statement... I don't know that I disagree with it. It was he's a very thoughtful guy. I think he's very intelligent. Um, if you actually listen to the words that he said, I you know they've they've just been completely blown out in the media. Uh, and at the same time, you need a candidate who's going to be prepared to face that kind of scrutiny. And I'm not sure if he's proven that he can do that yet. Yeah, I mean, I think he is clearly not the most polished speaker. It's not his nature. And he does have some very uh, social conservative convictions that uh, that may not be uh, as mainstream as some of us would think. And you've got to realize you need to appeal to moderate voters. Um, you know, do I want uh, uh, somebody that's not going to swear on the Bible when they go when they're going to be president? No, I absolutely do not want it. But I'm not running for president either. But anyway, Christy, let's take our first break here. I'm glad you you made it in for your first uh, uh, co-hosting with Greg. And uh, we've got uh, Diane. Uh, a, a Doma coming on next. We're going to chat about her race in District 43 in a couple minutes. Thanks for listening to Greg's List. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. 
His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, your home for serious journalism, only on America's Webradio.com. We've got a full house today. This is uh, one of the benefits of actually having a professional studio here in, uh, in the Atlanta area. And uh, Christy Riggins, the editor of ZPolitics.com, a, a frequent, uh, well, I guess you've called in once or twice, but uh, you always help us out on the, uh, on the Twitter and on the, uh, the Facebook there. And one of these days, I'm going to get on the uh, the Instagram there. Happy to do it, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's my pleasure. We have uh, Diana Doma in today, who is running for State Senate in District 43, which was right next to the one I ran in, in District uh, 42. Yours is in uh, DeKalb, Rockdale, and a little bit of Newton County. Is that right? That's correct. All right. Well, welcome to the, uh, the studio, and uh, we appreciate you coming in today. How's the uh, campaign trail been going? And tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure, absolutely. Um, the campaign is going really, really good. Of course, we always need more people to get engaged and to be involved. And um, the reason I'm running, one of the main reasons, Greg, that I'm running is because in that district, as you know, DeKalb County, Rockdale, and Newton County, there's a lot of corruption. And if you just pick up any local newspaper, you can see you know, how um, widespread that corruption is. And I think that what we need in politics, we need change. We need some positive change. We need leadership that makes a difference. We need servant-type leadership. And what do I mean by that? You know, the role of the public servant is, of course, to do what? Serve the people. But, Greg, we don't have much of that. And so I'm running because we need change and we need leaders who will actually serve the people. And we need leaders who will carry the agenda of the people and not their personal agendas. And and just to add to that, if I may, we need transparency, we need accountability, and we need people who understand that role of the public servant. And I just don't think we have it. Yeah, well, I know that you're a line of work. You're one of the, the largest uh, minority owners of H&R Block uh, franchises in the southeast, right? Is that, is that that's a, that's correct, and a little bit about that. So we, that's a little bit of transparency right there. It's helping people do their taxes. The IRS has to see what they owe hey, or don't a, owe, as the case may be. Great analogy. You're so <laughs> right about that. And we definitely need people in the government who know how to do math. Yes. So. Yes, definitely, definitely. You know, um, my history, I don't know if the two of you know, but I was a Democrat for many years. I heard that rumor. I was blue for many years. And uh, although I come from a host of family members who are Republican, and some of them I would consider them staunch Republicans. And, you know, my story is, is very unique because I ran, as you know, Greg, we talked about it. I ran for the House seat in District 91 against a sitting incumbent and they successfully branded or should I say they just labeled me as a Republican and the way they did it 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 broke my heart let me tell you what they did they said I was um, a Republican in Democratic clothing if you've ever heard that before we've heard of rhino which is Republican (laughs) in name only I can only imagine what they call it on the Democrat side Well, that's what they called it, and it broke my heart. So I came home, and I pondered that, and I thought about it, and when I looked at the outcome of that election, I thought, I said to my family, I said, okay, 
I need to do a self-assessment. I need to reevaluate who am I. Uh-huh. And I need to really, you know, when people say things about you, if you really are interested in making change or to see, you know, figuring out if it's correct, then I came home and I did just that. After I cried, I boohooed for a couple of days because I'm like, <laughs> I don't know who I am. And then I, I thought about it and I say, you know, I'm pro-business. I, I support businesses. I'm a business owner. Uh-huh. So, you know, and I'm very, very active with the local Chamber of Commerce. And as you know, I received national recognition recently from the U.S. Women's Chamber of Commerce. And I start looking at all the things I've done in the community with nonprofits and with the businesses and that we still continue to do. And it broke my heart that the only thing people could see was red or blue. Uh-huh. They could not look at what I was actually doing in the community. And the only reason they were labeling me that way was because I'm pro-business. And, you know, I mean, I'm a little bit, I believe in the Second Amendment rights. I believe in smaller government. So, you know, I felt like, hey, maybe they're right. <laughs> and so and so this time I thought, if I'm being branded like that, uh-huh. then I should run on the label that I most relate to. Right, and so what? Uh, what? What pushback have you gotten? Have the Democrats called you a traitor, or what? Uh, what's been going on on that side of things? How? How's the Republicans received you? I know we've had you at some of our meetings, and I'm happy. To, anytime we can get somebody, we always talk about minority outreach mm-hmm. as Republicans, and um, you know, in the past, sometimes it. Sometimes it can appear opportunistic. I've had the chance to meet you several times now, and I think that you truly are acting in, in what you believe. So, But there's got to be some community gossip, if you will, about uh, you changing over. Or are you able to reach to that base and say, hey, look, you may vote for the D on, on the presidential race, or well, you'll be a uh, special election this time, so it'll just be y'all's race on there. So you, maybe you can make it about you and not the party. Is that something part of your strategy? That is exactly part of my strategy. And as you know, I, I believe in being authentic. I believe in being who you are, and that's why I conducted that self-evaluation. And um, quite frankly, I've spoken at the um, Young Republicans, the Buckhead Young Republicans meeting, and the reception there was incredible. And actually, the, the kind words of Leo Smith I'd like to quote was, Welcome home, sis. And the kind words of all my family members who are Republicans was, I was wondering how long it would take you to discover it. And, of course, I still have, um, there's some hate that's come my way, and I'm okay with that. I'm up for the task. You know, I like Joan of Arc. Hey, I'm a warrior. I'm ready. But, um, but the you know, a lot of Democrats have said, have put words out in the universe telling people don't vote for me. But the reason they're telling people not to vote for me is because they're saying I'm running as a Republican. It has nothing to do with my track record. If you look at my track record and what I've done, you know, I have reached out and built coalitions with people in general. And that's what makes me very popular, especially in Rockdale County. And so when the Democrats feel like, you know, the only reason that I'm running as a Republican, some have said it's because of money or endorsements of things like that. You, I'm, I'm pleased to announce to all your guests today that my fundraising task is just as challenging as anybody else, and that's simply because I'm reaching out and I'm touching people from all wakes of life, mm-hmm. and I'm not ashamed of that. I think that's democracy. Even though I am more conservative, I still think it's important. Whoever gets this seat, which I hope it's me, they have to have the ability to reach out and and listen to the agenda of all the people, even if those aren't the people that elect you, they still pay taxes, which means they still pay, let me go to my tax and my finance side, they still pay your salary. Uh-huh. 
So when you do go out into the community and you have this unique message, you're trying to stay away from the partisanship, what kind of a response are you getting from voters? Um, I'm getting it's, it's kind of interesting because it's almost right now, and the race is still young, even though I think I got about 44 days left. I'm getting, you know, very, I'm, I'm getting good reception from the Republican Party. Like I said, there, it's welcome home. Um, the Democrats are disappointed, but yet it was them who actually labeled me. It was them who sent me <laughs> back to the drawing board to say, hey, who am I? And if you know the stress and the frustration and that I went through when I had this aha moment, you know, it, it was really uh, a wake-up call for me. And so I think that makes me more uniquely ready to lead because now I know exactly what I stand for. And I'm not like, okay, you know, I really don't like that because I believe in, you know, um, smaller government. I believe in the right to bear arms. You know, I believe in those things. And yet I still have a big heart for nonprofits. If you look at my community track record with nonprofits, you know, I've received the highest award from the International Rotary Club for my volunteerism and the same thing from the Chamber of Commerce. So you can see how nonprofit and business, I'm split right down the middle. Well, I got to say nonprofit, um, in fact, Republicans and conservatives would say that that is the route to go. We would say that if you took less tax money from us, it would leave more uh, disposable income for people to do with that. And I know yes. with you helping, uh, I know you own the businesses, you know a little bit about charitable giving on people's taxes. And I can assure you that when people have more money, charitable giving goes up. Yes, and that's one. It's, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's one of the ways I see that as, um, you know, one of the ways that we give back without really even realizing that we're giving back. Because every time we find, you know, legal ways to conduct or, or to perform the tax um, um, preparation, when we do that, we're able to save people money because mm-hmm. I think we are the best. H and R Block, yes, we're certainly the biggest. Yeah, <laughs> I think we are. We are the biggest, and, and right now we're the only, at least in 2008. We were the only African African American owned franchisee in the Southeast in 2008, mm-hmm. and now even though we have uh, one or two, they aren't really considered the real franchisee on, owner because they bought someone else's tax business, and then all they did was branded it and threw the label up there. We actually purchased the the true H and R Block franchises. Gotcha. Well, I think it's I think it's great to. Um uh, you know, to have somebody that's been on both sides of the uh, of the coin, so to speak. What um, I, I, what are Republicans doing wrong with the black community? One of the things that I know for a fact is more than sixty five percent of blacks, especially in Georgia, are middle class or upper. So, are we messaging poorly to that community? I'm sure you can still talk to the fact that we're getting less than ten percent. Governor Deal doubled the uh, African American vote this past time, and I think David Perdue did a pretty good job reaching out to him. He went to visit the uh, Morehouse, not just the College of Commons, but the whole campus down there. Uh, what are we, we? What are some points? What we got about a minute left, but so what yeah. are a couple of points that you could think that could help us a little bit? Well, um, I think you hit it dead on the on the on the nail there because we do have to reach out to those communities because the demographics have shifted dramatically, especially in the in the um, district that I'm running in. Those demo- demographics are not where they yeah, were. Rockdale County used to be 70, 80 percent yes. white. 
Right, and it's flip flop. Now it's about 50-50 now, isn't it? It's flip flop, and people talk about numbers when they come to me. They say, "Well, you know, you can't win in this district," but you know, I, I really don't believe that because I don't think the numbers is what I'm focused on. When you believe you can win a race, you don't focus on the numbers. You focus on what you need to do to get your messaging out. And I think going back to your um, question, I think the Republicans need to reach out to those demographics and look at those people who may not appear at first blush. To be to fit that mold or that vision of who we think a Republican is, but but they may think very much like us, and so our messaging needs to go out, and we need to do more outreach to reach those people, and they're out there. I, I think African Americans are more conservative than even some of the the white Americans. We just need uh-huh. to reach out and touch well, them. There certainly is the uh, opportunity there. Well, let's go ahead and take our break, and then I've got, okay. I'll, I'll get you on for about two minutes after the break. We're going to go over the fifteen minutes a little bit, but uh, sure. then we'll got a couple. We've got a bunch of others, so we haven't even talked about Clock Boy yet. And that is going to be a scintillating I'm discussion. I'm ready to talk about Clock Boy. I am fired let's up for it. that. So let's take our break here. We'll be back with uh, Diana Doma and Clock Boy in 2 and 2. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day, the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. 
Thank you, God bless patriot conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on America's Webradio.com. We got a full studio today. Our friend Christy Riggins, the editor of ZPolitics.com. They've been churning out articles left and right. You really need to subscribe to their morning newsletter for some of her snarky wit. And also, they are, seem like they're getting some. Uh, uh, some breaking news. You guys have really broken news uh, sev- on several, um, y- you know, local races and some national races as well. So you, we're getting you there. must you must know people. Yeah, <laughs> I try. Yeah. I try. They probably wouldn't tell you that, but <laughs> yeah, they just send out the ominous press release: emergency Scott Walker meeting tonight at Madison. We're going to finish up talking about some of the uh, presidential stuff with Christy here in a few, and also Clock Boy, my favorite subject du jour. That means of the day in French. I'm bilingual. Here, uh, we're going to wrap up with uh, Diana Doma. Though you are one of ten candidates in this race, so it is guaranteed to be a runoff. You, if you can finish, you know, obviously first or second, you'll be in that runoff, which will be a month. Um, the election, I think, would be about four to six weeks after mm-hmm. the November third election. Which uh, obviously, this is kind of the warm up for next year's big presidential race with ten candidates out there. I mean, this thing can get split up anyways. I just got uh, notification. There's a forum. On October 22nd, are you going to be at that? Yes, okay. I've already RSVP'd. Hope you cool. can come too, Greg. That one's at Antioch. I'll be there. It's at the okay. Antioch uh, African Methodist Church. AME, is that what that stands for? Yes. African Methodist e- what is Episcopal. It? Episcopal. So right. Methodist Episcopals? <laughs> yes. Okay. That's cool. We'll go with it. Yeah, we'll go with it. We'll just call it that. We'll just call it the AME. But uh, so tell our uh, f- listeners where they can find more about you. And um, sure, sure. And before I tell them that, you mind if I want to share one other thing about the Southeastern Conference primary? Uh, It seems like I just want to mention that Brian Kemp has positioned Georgia um, strategically to be a key player in the presidential election in 2016. Mm -hmm. And that's why reaching out to the minority vote is so important right now. Mm-hmm. I think Brian Kemp may have plans to run for governor. I'm not sure, but I think that's important that he is trying to position us. And we are strategically shifting in demographics, which is also positioning us for something unique in 2016. So stay tuned to that, Greg. Well, we are, and uh, you know, Brian uh, was was one of the speakers at uh, a recent meeting. He'll actually be at the Atlanta Young Republicans meeting tomorrow night, 7 p.m. I believe Jeb P. Bush is going to be there as well, and our friend Chris Sanders is doing a uh, young professional event for Chris, uh, Jeb P. Bush, who's the son of Jeb Bush, at uh, Five Seasons tomorrow at 5.30 p.m., and then after that, the Atlanta Young Republicans meeting. That should be a lot of fun, and uh, anyway, we, we wanted to tell the listeners oh. where they can find out about you and your campaign. And then, Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Um, you can contact me by visiting my website. It's Diane for Georgia. That's D-I-A a-N-E for Georgia.com and from there you'll be able to you can like me also on Facebook Diane for Georgia 2015 and um, we're going to have I just want to mention on October 3rd I have about 20 young people college students and we're going to have a big canvassing party so go to my website to get updates on that we're going to flood the community with (laughs) different flyers and things like that and we're very excited 
And I do want to thank you and and the entire um, station here for having me as no a guest problem. today. And I hope pleasure. this is not the last time. I hope I get to come back. Well, again. I was going to say, you know, if you, you get to that runoff, we'll definitely have you on. And um, you know, I know obviously this is a little bit out of the district, but uh, I think you you had a you feel comfortable uh, speaking about the issues, and we're happy to have you call in or, or visit us again live. Thank sure, you, Diane. Absolutely. Odoma. Thank you, Greg. It. Thanks, Christy. Thank you. So we um, had, had prefaced this a little bit. I was really looking forward. On, I, I intentionally, last week, when this story comes out about uh, Ahmed, the inventor, story comes out. I saw it, glanced at it. It looked a little strange to me, but I didn't comment about it. I didn't send out a tweet inviting Ahmed, who, if you don't know the whole story, it's in Irving, Texas, suburb of Dallas, a, uh, a 14-year-old um, student named, what's his name, Ahmed Muhammad. I mean, you, you can't really get more Islamic than that name. Ahmed Muhammad brings in a homemade clock. Well, here's a story anyway. Brings in a homemade clock. His teacher freaks out thinks it's a bomb. They call the police. They arrest the kid. They incarcerate him for two days. He doesn't get a chance to call mommy and daddy. So that's the story. That's the original narrative. Right, Christy? Did I leave anything he, out? Uh, well, that the clock was in a suitcase. Oh, oh it's even better. <laughs> it, so, the, so it's now a suitcase. Anybody that's seen 24 and Jack Bauer, this is how they operate. When I say they, I mean the terrorists. And you can be any kind of terrorist. You can be a black, white, Muslim, purple, illegal alien terrorist. You can be all of the above. But this is the literally the, uh, I guess, kind of the pop culture version of what scares people. But, okay, so, so I forgot. To, so I left that part out. But that other than that, that's the narrative. Poor, repressed Muslim kid um, gets treated uh, by bigoted teachers and cops. That, right, that's the narrative. That's, that's exactly okay. what was out. And so Obama adds fuel to the fire. Obama, I'm pretty sure, had not even seen the clock, which we'll get to that in a minute. But Obama tweets out, cool clock, Ahmed. Would you like to bring it to the White House? Once again, demonstrating a sheer just lack of, of any kind of leadership. This is when he, when he said the police acted stupidly. He always rushes to this judgment to, you know, anytime there's a narrative where it looks like he can foment racial divide, he jumps in. Without, he jumps in feet first, doesn't even look at all the facts. I purposefully didn't comment on it. I just read about it. Oh, great. The president's tweeting about it. It's gotten retweeted one million times. It, the narrative now is poor little Muslim kid picked on by, by white oppressors. Yeah, and, and that was wise of you to not say anything, <laughs> right? Because you know that any time the left jumps on a story like this, where it looks like some, you know, some minority faction is being oppressed, there's always going to be more to this story that ends up coming out. <laughs> you know, we've ended up finding out in, you know, in the days following this, that Ahmed's dad is, um, you know, they're, they're Sudanese immigrants. They're now American citizens, but his dad is a perennial candidate for you know president of Sudan, <laughs> um, and and he's a um, he's a mediaite. He likes to be in front of the camera, and he likes to to look out for instances of Islamophobia. So we know that there's a lot more to this story and to the profile of of these people, and that's important. And and just I'll, I'll say this to the the point of the the teachers um it, you know but 
President Obama. Guess guess what would happen if somebody tried to bring that suitcase yeah. into the White House? Hey, Ahmed, don't bring your clock. Okay, let let's maybe circle back and do not bring your little pencil box with uh, with wires and 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 batteries and volts hanging out. If if he did not, <laughs> if the president did not grab a hold of this and Ahmed decided to walk into the White House with this suitcase full of wires, <laughs> he would have been tackled by secret security because guess what? It looks like a bomb. As well, he should have. You know, if if we're going to give teachers the freedom to suspend students for making a gun out of a Pop-Tart or wearing a Confederate flag t-shirt, I think that this needs to be taken seriously as well, yeah. regardless of the color of skin. I agree. We have this zero-tolerance policy. We have tons of, of anecdotal evidence of stories where a kid goes hunting and forgets just ammo, for God's sake. Ammo is really nothing but a rock without a gun, but we've seen cases where kids have been suspended because they've left ammo in their truck and somebody reports it on them. So this kid... Who, and here's the other funny thing. It wasn't even an assignment. This kid comes in, brings in this, this uh, wires and suit, uh, suitcases, calls it a clock, which will – I have watched this amazing drill down of exactly what this was. We'll talk about that in a minute. So brings it in. His teacher's mystified. His teacher says, well, I, uh, I, I guess it's cool, but, th- you know, when did I assign this? Was I was I on mushrooms and, and assigned this and, and I didn't know? It tells the kid, hey, that's cool. Put it away. Don't show it to anybody. So I- instead of immediately calling the police and tackling this poor little Muslim kid, they said, no, it's nice. Put it away. We'll, we can play with it after class. So Ahmed decides to show it to everybody else, continuing to show it. I've heard that it was only his second day at this school. Now, I have not been able to verify that. But, again, isn't this just written out of every, you know, kind of uh, pop culture, you know, terrorist thing? The, you know, new Muslim kid brings in strange device. And so he keeps showing it off to people. He turns the alarm on so it actually goes off in one of his classes. This is all part of the police report. There's dozens of witnesses. So it goes off during art class. And then they say, yeah. You're being disruptive, Ahmed. We're going to take you away. And so they called his parents. They, they, they ended up letting him go. But it's a hoax bomb, and that's what they were worried about. Okay, if that's, that Some people are getting on the teachers for, for not being you know, bomb technicians and realizing that it didn't really have any plutonium in it. Well, I'm sorry. I'm a teacher. I'm worried about the hundreds of other kids in school that day. I'm worried about the ones that are maybe bringing guns to school because you know they show up in gun-free zones. I'm pretty sure this was a bomb-free and supposedly a clock-free zone as well. So Ahmed brings in a project that nobody assigned him to. It looks suspicious. Teachers say, cool, put it away. It's being disruptive. He continues to show it off then it goes off in class and they say finally enough's enough Ahmed you're gonna, we're going to call the cops. And all of a sudden, they're racist bigots. Is, am they I right? did the right thing. Okay. Good for them. Yeah. yeah. No, you have the story exactly right. And then Ahmed turned around and called the media. Oh, yeah. No, no. Oh, they've got all these press conferences now. Immediately, it's two scholarship funds were set up. They're dragging him out of school. His dad's taking him to the White House. Uh, MIT wants him. Mark Zuckerberg. Z- oh, oh, but here, no. In his press conference, he actually just flat out said, "Just so everyone knows, I want to go to MIT." <laughs> I, he was he was ready for this press attention, oh, yeah. and I, and I think he knew that there were going to be some gains for that. Mark Zuckerberg has invited him to Facebook headquarters to meet with him. Google has given him the front VIP spot in the annual major Google Science Fair. <laughs> um, so the left is fawning all over yeah. this kid. Yeah, and which is why it's 
really incredible to watch the narrative fall completely apart. Um, we do have a final break coming up here. David, I don't know if you wanted to take it. Uh, we got one minute till the break. Basically, folks, I on Saturday I started reading more about the story as more came out. And thank God for the citizen journalists of the world who actually did some research, read the report, found out that this guy's dad is this uh, Muslim activist that runs for the president of Sudan every four years, which that's got to be a fun job if you win, right? They, did you know Sudan actually split up into two countries? There's now a South Sudan. Yeah. So, so Sudan was so great. They wanted to make a South Sudan. I never really understood that. They actually had a vote on it. There's actually these nomadic tribes in South Sudan. They don't know that there's two countries there. Now they basically walk the animals back and forth following the rivers and the migrations. And they don't know if there's two different countries now. But anyway, it's like splitting two. The more you know. And, uh, Greg, Greg Williams for <laughs> president of Sudan. Yes, I'm, I'm running. We're going to take our uh, final. I agree with that one. We're going to take our final break here. But uh, we got some more on Clock Boy and the, uh, the faux alarm clock in a minute on Greg's list. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. This is Michael Gano with the Middle East Research Center Limited, bringing you insight to Israel, the truth about the greatness of the Jewish state and its struggle for sovereignty and security every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This is America's Webradio.com. The best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism. Full full studio today. I gotta say, we've had a lively show here. We got to talk about some presidential politics, a great candidate in Senate District 43 in Georgia, Diana Doman. We're gonna get you back on here, Diana. You might, might as well have you stick around and talk about this. Talking with Christy Riggins, the editor of ZPolitics.com. We've been following this story of Clock Boy, which, I mean, 
you know, it's such a. It was, I guess, it was supposed to be a name that garnered sympathy at first. I watched this video, and as the story came out and, and gathered more and more uh, press and notoriety, if you will, that's what happens when the president of the United States jumps to conclusions and invites Clock Boy to the White House and says, "Bring your clock." Let's talk about the clock for a minute because the, what really boiled my blood on Saturday, I was getting fired up for the football game, Georgia South Carolina, which the dogs won by thirty-two brutal points, but I digress. <laughs> they, I watched this uh, engineer. Yeah. He, he looked like an Arab himself, so clearly it wasn't... Uh, it was Arab on Arab drill down, if you will. He said, basically, Ahmed plagiarized 1970s technology. He basically took apart a clock, a clock radio from 1977, in fact. They were able to look it up. One that sold by Radio Shack. Remember Radio Shack? It was sold by Radio Shack. All Ahmed did was take it out of its casing, and he didn't do... He didn't even reassemble it. He just made it look as explodey. Did you see that meme that came out? That that was a meme that came out, and it said, try to make it look as explodey as possible. And uh, it had like steps to uh, steps to gain uh, sympathy, and you know, take bomb out, take clock out of alarm clock, make put it in suitcase, make it look explodey, and uh, yeah, and and the guy went through this like every nuance of it. He said, "Look, somebody, if you look at the clock, they actually inscribed like an American flag on it." He said, "Nobody would do that." He said nobody would even use a a 30-year-old circuit board if they were making a clock. So when I read that, I completely lost sympathy. And and you run a risk of being a bully, right, this 14-year-old kid. So I don't want to bully 14-year-old kids. But you ever heard the saying, Diane, it takes a village? If this guy's dad is going to let him make (laughs) explodey-looking things... Then or is, should maybe should maybe the the country have the opportunity to chime in and say, look, Ahmed, you're getting rewarded for something that all you did was plagiarize 1970s technology. Isn't it fair for us to critique that? Well, yeah, and I think we may be sending um, the wrong message if we you know reward something that really was you know doesn't warrant being rewarded. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm an advocate for our youth. I mentor and support the mm-hmm. young people, and so I think the message that we want to send to young people. Is is that when you invent or create something from scratch, you get rewarded. Mm-hmm. However, if you plagiarize or something <laughs> yeah. like that, well, you get, you know, yeah. there's a severe punishment for plagiarism. But like you said, we don't want to turn it into bullying a 14-year-old. And, and that was, a, that was the, I, when I posted about it, I my post was more trying to blame Obama for fomenting. And the message to, uh, you know, Ahmed is that he didn't create a clock. No more than a dog yakking up a bone cooks a steak. Well, now, you know, I'm thinking now, about... That, is, it, is it colorful language? Of course. I had a couple of uh, my, my Democrat friends say, oh, you're comparing him to a dog. I said, no, it's an analogy. But yeah, I'm comparing his invention to a dog not cooking steak. But I did it so people would read it and then realize that, okay, this is there's a lot more to this story. It's an attention-grabbing headline. Maybe Scott Walker should have hired me since I'm able to get attention. But. Well, and, and at the same time, the left doesn't seem to know what it is that they want. Because on one hand, they want every single threat to be taken very seriously. That's how you justify something like a kid wearing a Confederate flag t-shirt, and then that's, you know, the gateway into Terrorist. racism. Exactly. And, yeah. um, and 
then when something like this does happen, then they say, oh, well, we need to be very sensitive to the color of uh-huh. someone's skin. Yeah. Uh-huh. You can't have it both ways. You either want people to, to be safe and you want to go that extra mile uh-huh. or you don't. Um, but that's always what really burns me is that when things like this come ha- come out, the left piles on to this narrative that there is there's somebody being oppressed simply by the color of their skin, especially in a white institution in a southern place like Texas. Right. And then when you learn more about it, everything makes a lot more sense and the picture becomes a lot mm-hmm. clearer. Yeah, yeah you, you know, you got a lot of children right here in, in our neighborhood, in my neighborhood, probably yours too, Christy, and yours, Greg. We got a lot of local um, students right here, mm-hmm. and I see them every day, you know, with my advocacy in the schools. I see these children doing great things, and yet they never get a, a real sound bite. So you got to think about, you know, the message we're sending. How do we decide who we're going to reward? Mm-hmm. And I'm not against rewarding a student for something that they've done uh, that's, you know, outstanding mm-hmm. and incredible and as you said, it's something brand new. But, you know, if I just take Christie's sweater and rethread it then and I get recognized, that that's the message that we may be sending. And I don't have all the facts, but if what I'm hearing is correct, then that would be my take well, on it, that. Well, it perpetuates this victim mentality. And instead of the, the meritocracy that, that we're supposed to have, it says, oh, no, Hope Scholarship, uh, We anybody that makes more than $120,000, their parents shouldn't be able to be eligible for it. We're going to give all this money to somebody whose parents doesn't make as much money. I can tell you this much. An 18-year-old kid, doesn't matter where they're from, they make the same amount of money. Zero. Now, whether or not their parents um, have the, the, the money to give them, my, a lot of parents are not going to give their kids college money. Or if they do, they're going to give them a portion of it. So by rewarding uh, mediocrity, if you will, we're, we're, not, we're not really increasing um, achievement. And, and, and this kid, I think, is going to build a lot of resentment. Can you imagine if you go to the science fair at 14 and you've built... I mean, even the kids that create the volcanoes that bubble over and the lava and the magma comes out, that's pretty cool, right? When, when they create a Vesuvius and a, and a, and a you know, pyroclastic cloud, that's neat stuff. This guy took apart an alarm clock and made it look explodey. Chris, yeah, maybe maybe they need to have a separate section at the science fair for people who are in there because they were discriminated against. <laughs> yeah, uh, you maybe. know we have the uh, Ahmed the fraud. We have the the, the 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 poor children. Who this kid is not poor. His dad. His dad actually looks like, from what I read, his background like a decent story. Look, mm-hmm. somebody that came here and, and and established a life for himself. Unfortunately, it's turned into some you know publicity whore and somebody that, that really likes to. We're, we're not governed by yeah. the FCC here, folks. Real we're American good. dream. He he comes. Yeah, this is a man who comes over to our country and builds a life for himself, and then repeatedly goes back to Sudan to try and run for president. Then when that doesn't work out, comes back over here. It's yeah. it's yeah. a true American story. Yeah. And well, I think it had a good it had a good start. I think what was disturbing to me is you calling your own press conference, you know, so you know what you're doing now. You know what this leads to. So it's like, you know, I'm I'm doing this so I can get more attention. And rightly so, he got a lot of attention out of it. So it did work. Yeah, well, you know, even, what do they say, a broken clock's bright twice a day. So accordingly, they're... uh, you know, the clock management skills of Ahmed and his dad have been pretty good. The school is the one that was looking a little bit uh, guilty. But I think the narrative on this has changed completely, don't you? Yeah. 
Absolutely. Uh, Bill Maher, we just talked about him. I, I, I usually like to ch- position a lot of my show as a, a right-wing counterpoint to Bill Maher. Mm-hmm. And as, as the, that's where I was going with that analogy, the broken clock. Bill Maher came out, and Bill Maher basically hates religion. He's an atheist. So anytime he sees somebody trying to manipulate religion for personal gain, he's come out very anti-Islamic mm-hmm. m- many times, even more than Ben Carson has. But uh, Bill Maher gets applauded for it by his, his left-wing audience. But he comes out, and I think that him coming out gives conservatives some cover to talk about this. Because I did, I've, I've, when I, when I, when I started the narrative on Saturday, I, the little hair on the back of my neck stuck up. I said, I don't want to look like a bully, but at the same time, I'm going to call BS on BS. Yeah, I, and I think, <clears throat> while I agree with you, I think we need to be careful when we're talking about a child mm, um, yep. at the same time I think that that this is very much an a opportunity for the you know for for left or somebody with something to gain um, you know to to shield themselves with a child um, I don't know if you had an opportunity to watch the press conference or not yeah I've seen some snippets of it, it- this this young man was locked and loaded. I mean, he was ready to go with talking points mm-hmm. and sound bites, and he knew what he was saying. And, and so, I think if you're going to put yourself in front of the press, I know he's 14 years old. Um, I think you know we we don't launch into ad hominem attacks against him. I, right. I don't think we we call him names, and I hope that we're not doing that here. I don't think we are. Um, but a 14-year-old who's who's smart enough to build a clock in a suitcase, <laughs> you know, he can... I, I think that we can have a discussion about what's acceptable and what's not because the people who have come under attack are, are, are is the school system. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like what you and I were discussing during the break, that this is a time that I... I hesitate to say that I agree with Bill Maher on anything, but I actually do on this one. What do they say? You know, ask, you know, arrest first, ask questions later. I think that's what kind of what they did here. And the school, their narrative may be, look, this kid brought a hoax bomb. It's very similar to me calling in a bomb threat, even though I may have not had a bomb. And clearly this kid, all he did was have a 1970s uh, clock that was out. It didn't have any explodey explodey parts in it, even though it looked explodey. Um... So the school has to take these threats seriously because what happens if they ignore it? The the problem what happens then, right? The problem for me too is is <clears throat> that he was given instruction to put it away and he didn't listen. He he had the opportunity to show the teacher he got the the praise for doing this and for building this and then he ignored the the direction yep. to to put it and away continued and continued to be disruptive to other kids again I, I I'll need to see if it's true that it was only a second day at the school I can't verify that I just I read a lot about it but again that you know second day of school strange kid comes in got something that looks weird it wasn't an assignment I don't think the school overreacted let's be careful not be bullying to this 14 year old so let's talk about his dad and Obama let's change the narrative <laughs> on that anyway thank you all for listening today thank you Christy Riggins for joining us, Robin. Great to see you, sir, and uh, and Diana Doma. Good luck in your race. Thank you and, so uh, much, pleasure Greg. Having you in today, we'll hear more from both y'all in the near future. Thanks for listening yes, to Greg's List. Absolutely. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio, designed just for you.